You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Um, If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. As we continue to look at just two verses, we've spent the last couple of weeks uh, in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, with the goal to prepare our hearts primarily for this season of Christmas. And this is one of the primary texts that you'll hear again and again this Christmas season, uh, written on Christmas cards or in various places. You'll see this text and probably have even seen it posted on Facebook or, or other ways. And it tells the story of Jesus, primarily of Jesus as king. And it is my goal, there's a specific reason why we're here in this passage, it's my goal this year that you would see Jesus as king. Especially in a time where it has been so easy for us to become overwhelmed with the weight of the world around us. Um, And seemingly in a world where everything is spiraling out of control, it's really easy to get frustrated and angry and confused and worried and all of these other things and to grow impatient with what God is doing in the world. But make no mistake about it. We do not have just a weak, innocent, small little baby in a manger. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is who was born 2,000 years ago. He has always reigned. He's been on the throne from eternity past and will be on the throne for eternity future. He just happened to be born in a manger by the very plan and hand of the living God. And we are thankful that we serve King Jesus. See, the Christmas story is about a Savior who is King. It, it is a statement of God's sovereign control in the world. That he, 2,000 years ago, was not taken by surprise by anything that he saw, but ultimately he reigns supreme over all things. And from that, I, I would hope that at least three things would come from us looking at these two verses over the course of the last, uh, the last two weeks and then today and next week as we prepare for Christmas Day together. And that is that you would, number one, trust God more deeply. I would hope that coming from Isaiah 9, that you being reminded of who Jesus is, that there would be a deeper trust for Him that extends beyond any circumstances you might ever face. A trust that grows. Secondly, that you would submit to God more fully than you did before. If He's King of kings and Lord of lords, that means that He's in control. That He's the authority over my life. And my prayer would be that you would submit your life obediently to Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And that third, that that would free you. That you would be freed to serve God more passionately than you ever have. 
Because freed from all of the worry of this world and freed from having to figure out how to run your own life, that you would just simply say, I trust you, God, you're good in all that you're doing. And King Jesus, I want to serve you with all of my life. So we've seen Jesus in two different lights. We've seen him as the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. Today we see him as everlasting Father, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as we begin together in verse six and read through verse seven. The Bible says for unto us or for to us in the ESV, a child is born to us. A son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the government of of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God, we are thankful this morning that you have a holy zeal to accomplish your word and that you have proven it in the sending of your son to be the savior of the world and to take his seat on the throne of all things. God, we thank you that Jesus is reigning sovereign king, Lord of lords, king of kings, and that today we can trust him and that we must obey him and that we can serve you with our lives, knowing that you will not fail. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that today as we follow you, that those things would be stirred and increased among us as we see you as the one who is the everlasting father. I pray that Today, as we gather before your word, that those who are here or even joining us online or who may be listening to this later, who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God, we ask that today would be the day of salvation, that you, King Jesus, would draw all people to yourself and that you would lead the lost to repentance and faith and that you would save their soul. We, re- we pray that you would receive glory and honor from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So if you've been here the last couple of weeks, this is a lot of review, but it is important that we continue to keep the larger context of Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7 in view. So for two weeks now, we have been reminded of the condition of Israel And it is essentially a place of utter spiritual darkness in this day. The two verses, the last two verses of chapter 8 that kind of leads us into chapter 9 are these. It says in verse 21, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And turn their faces upward. 
and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And the story goes on that for essentially the next several centuries, they would be in utter darkness until the coming of Jesus. And chapter 9 is the picture of the coming of that Christ. The good news that in verse 1, chapter 9, there will be no gloom for her who was in English, uh, in anguish. No gloom at all. None. We will not be in anguish at all any longer. It will be Jesus who will come. Why? For unto us a son is born, a child is born, a son is given, and we know that son to be Jesus. Why is it that the world is freed from anguish, freed from darkness? It is because the light of the world that these girls just sang about has come into the world. A child is born, a son is given. That's the reason. And Isaiah says that this child will be the eternal king of promise. The one who would sit on the throne of David forever. Whose kingdom will not have any end at all. His sovereign reign will extend to the very ends of the earth. Not just to the people of Israel, but his kingdom and his throne would be established forever. And we know that this son is Jesus. He is the reason. He is the reason that hope has come. And so we have this universal truth, not just for the, the nation of Israel, but for all of the world. The universal truth that because of the reign of Jesus, that darkness has hope. The only hope for a dark world is the rule and reign of King Jesus. This is the only hope that there is in all of the world that Jesus would reign in the midst of darkness. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that He is going to reign until He puts every enemy under His feet. And that's what's happening in the world right now. Jesus is establishing and declaring His reign over all things through the proclamation of the Gospel of Christ. Through His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His saving power, He is establishing His Lordship and His kingdom in all places. From the smallest of places to the largest of places. From the smallest of governments to the greatest of governments, Jesus is declaring that He is in sovereign control over all things. He's King. He's King and we can trust Him. The question then becomes, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, the question becomes, what kind of reign does he have? What kind of reign does he have? And that's what the announcement is intended to proclaim, not just the fact that he is king, but to tell us what kind of king that he is, the, the nature of his rule and his reign. So we've seen this in two different names so far. It's, it's declared in four total names. First, that Jesus is wonderful counselor. In other words, that he is supernaturally wise. He's perfect and good in all that he does in his rule and his reign. It speaks of Jesus' character and his qualification for ruling. This, this great king has Perfect counsel and perfect decrees and perfect commands. All of His instruction and all of His decisions are always the best. 
They are always wise and, and beneficial to His people. Jesus is our wonderful Counselor. But He's not just wonderful Counselor. He is mighty God. It's not enough that Jesus is just good and that He rules well. He's perfectly able. He never fails. He has all power. His personhood and His power is perfect. He is has all authority and has the perfect ability to accomplish everything that He declares. He is, he is not limited in any way. You're his, here last week, He is the El Gabor. He is our great king warrior, hero, champion. When He goes out on the battlefield, He wins every single time because He is the Almighty God in human flesh. He is mighty God and wonderful Counselor. But he is also the kind of king who is everlasting father. His reign is such that people will look and see his reign, and among the people he shall be called everlasting father. It's perhaps the one that's the most difficult to wrap our minds around, because we don't typically think of Jesus as Father. In fact, there's an immediate tension here in the text because if Jesus is Son, how can He also be Father? But what this does not present, if anything, is conflict. There is no conflict between Jesus being Son and Jesus being Father, at least not in the mind of the one who is inspiring this text, and that is the mind of God Himself. In the mind of God, there is no conflict between Jesus being Son and Jesus being Father. It's yet another picture of how incomprehensible it is to understand this Christ that we serve and worship. He is, he is one who is so beyond our comprehension and understanding. His ways and thoughts higher than our ways. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this very title as he's preaching this message. He says, how complex is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ? Almost in the same breath, the prophet calls him child and a counselor, a son and the everlasting father. This is no contradiction. And to us, scarcely a paradox, but it is a mighty marvel that he who was an infant should be at the same time infinite. He who was the man of sorrows should be God over all, blessed forever. And that he who is the divine Trinity, always called Son, should nevertheless be correctly called the everlasting Father. This is the truth that towers over the manger and that should swell in our hearts that ultimately we see this infant, the one who is so tiny and seemingly so helpless as the one who is the infinite and can be called one with God, the everlasting Father. Again, this is a hard title to comprehend, partially because of this infinite and finite tension that exists here in the text, but we hardly think about 
Him as Father because we understand by confession that our God is a triune God. That He is one God existing eternally in three persons. That is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what we believe. That the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. That they are distinct and yet inseparable persons within the Godhead. And the same thing could be said about the Holy Spirit. To call Jesus everlasting Father in this text, and note this very clearly, is not to define His relationship to God the Father, but rather, the, the, the writer here is defining his relationship to us. That Jesus is, in a sense, a kind of father. That he is, in a sense, leading his people in a fatherly kind of way as king. So, what is Isaiah showing us here? What is God declaring to us? Well, let's just look at the title itself for a moment. You could take just that very first word and spend quite a bit of time on what it means for Jesus to be everlasting. It's not the idea of Jesus being born 2,000 years ago and then from there He is the everlasting, that His kingdom has no end. The word everlasting is the idea of existing in perpetuity. It means that not only does Jesus have no end, He does not have a beginning. I think sometimes we get confused about the Christmas story and and we think that somehow or we assume somehow that this is when Jesus came to be. But Jesus never came to be. Think about how the word is used in the Old Testament to describe God. It's the only person described as everlasting God Himself. Notice in Psalm 90 and verse 1, He says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place. This, by the way, is the confession of Moses. He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever You had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. If there could be measurements... And you could somehow define everlasting in the past and define everlasting in the future. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. At every single moment on the everlasting timeline, He continues to be God. There's never at any point that there was any shadow of changing in Him. He was always and is always God. Moses speaks of it in the present. I, I, I brought measuring tape up here just because I was thinking on this. And I, if, if you could somehow, just think, just think with me. If you could just somehow measure out eternity. Like just goes on and on. I can't go any further. If you could just measure out eternity. Just on and on and on. And then just imagine your life as not even one of the spaces on this measuring tape, but just a, just a line on the measuring tape. And you just, you just have to go on and on and on and on and on. And you could keep pulling out the tape measure 
And at every line, from eternity to eternity, he's still God. I don't know if you think about that much, but like everything in my life had a beginning, right? Everything that we have had a beginning, but God had no beginning. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. This is the name that is given to him. Later in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28, the question is asked, and this is after we hear all of this about God, the question is asked, have you not known? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His search, his understanding is unsearchable. It's the name that was given to God in Genesis chapter 21. Moses made that covenant there with Abimelech and he planted the tree. He is known there as the Lord. Genesis 21, verse 33, the Lord, the everlasting God. It was the name we've been in Connect Group talking about, the, the Exodus talking about the, the redemption of God's people from bondage, and the name that was given to God is the I Am, the one who is eternally self-existent. He has no beginning, no end, nothing brings him about. He is the eternally existent God who just is. Nothing causes him to act. Or or nothing causes him, nothing acts and causes him to come into being. Our children asked us, right? Where did God come from? There is no answer to that question. He just simply is. And what is happening here is that Jesus is called this everlasting God. He always was. And we've seen this in John chapter 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that God became flesh. What All that Jesus is as God just simply became flesh and dwelt among us. Or Colossians 1 and verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. What Paul is saying is that Jesus has always been the King on the throne. He just simply became flesh. Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 7, when this this picture of Melchizedek is, is being put before us, The description of Melchizedek being likened unto Christ as he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Jesus being greater than Melchizedek. Revelation 1 and verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty Revelation 1 and verse 8. Revelation 22 and verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is, of course, here in Isaiah, the everlasting. And again, this is so incredibly important. Because we often think about Jesus in such earthly terms. And yet Jesus has always been divine. It is simply, Christmas is simply the incarnation of Jesus, who is everlasting. 
But then to describe him as father. This is the second word in the title. And again, this is not relationship to God the Father. The Son is not the Father. God the Father. They are distinct persons. But His relationship to us as King is likened to a Father. He shall be called that. This will characterize His reign. He will rule as King like a Father does to His family. He's not making a statement about the divine family, that is, God the Father, God the Son, Christ as our elder brother, fellow believers as our brothers and sisters. All of that would be true. This word describes King Jesus in His relationship to His people, reigning as, as a father. It speaks of the kind of care that this king would have. His concern, his, his love for the people, His faithfulness to them, His instruction, His discipline them. Like a father would rule his own house well, Scripture describes. This is the kind of king that we have. He reigns like a father. He's mighty, He's able, He has good instruction, and He is a loving father to His people. It's a kind of language that the people of Israel would certainly have understood. Do you think about David called a patriarch of the people? David was a king, but he was the kind of one who was, who was a leading king who loved and instructed well and cared for the people well. He was a shepherd, a leader to the family and by extension the nation. It was a Largely male-dominated society, but it's not something that they hated or rejected. It's something that they loved, they honored, they revered. Because the king, as a father would lay down his, lives, his life for his family, the king would lay down his life for the nation. And, and Jesus was a perfect patriarch. One whose fatherhood of the nation would never end. Jesus is a perfect Father. His reign is everlasting. The fathers of Israel would represent leadership to them. So the father Abraham and and how he would become a father to many nations. There would be this sense of of source and origination that all things good would come from the, the patriarchs. Jesus is this everlasting Father in the way that He leads us. In a word, He is preexistent and preeminent as patriarch of His people. Why is it so important for us to get and understand that Jesus is this everlasting Father? We as people are so incredibly worry-prone, aren't we? How many of you have the tendency to worry now and again? The rest of you are lying. So we have the tendency to worry. And actually, if we're honest, I think quite a bit. Anxiousness, fear. And it is a part of human nature to forget that there is a loving Heavenly Father, even with us as children of God, that there is a loving Heavenly Father that cares for us. Our plans get frustrated and we begin to lose hope. 
disappointment sets in and we begin to wonder what are God's plans and to doubt. All of these things are things that we face all of the time. But it's important that we understand Jesus as one who rules like a loving father who's caring for us. Not just as one who is good in all of his counsel and one who is who is powerful in all that he does and able to do, but that he does so in a caring concern for us as his people. He loves us as a father would love his children there's a family right now that um, that in uh, days past that we're kind of close to um, somewhat. Abby um, Abby has a classmate. They're uh, no longer classmates, but it's a family that we've kind of been following and um, praying for. And um, Amber knows a whole lot more about the situation, but um, she's Abby's age, and they. Um, for the last several years, have been um, caring for their little girl who uh, has a brain tumor. And um, they just called in hospice um, because the tumor is essentially growing despite all of their care and concern for her from a medical standpoint. And, and I would imagine all of the prayers of the family, the prayers and tears and, and uh, friends and, and all who are gathered around them and just constantly praying for them. But it seems as if at this point there's nothing they can do. And she may not even make it to Christmas. I, I, I can't imagine. How, how do you live every day with that kind of concern before you? Unless you have the care and concern of a loving father who has all things under control and whose counsel is always good. And church, we don't, always, we don't always know how to calculate that, explain that, write that up in some sort of a, of a creed so we can say this is, this is what we believe. Sometimes life just doesn't make any sense at all in our minds. And how could God do something like this? But what we can always trust is that He is the everlasting Father and He always does what is best for us. His concern is always there and it is always perfect. It never ends. So what kind of everlasting father is he? What kind of father is Jesus? Just think about it in these terms in this text for just a few moments this morning. The text is pretty specific about what kind of father he is. Three ways that we see him as father. Number one, he is the father of eternity itself. He is the father of eternity itself. When God says unto you or to you, a son is given, a king is given, a, a child is given. It is not just a king or a child is born. This is the king who always has been. You see, it's common in the Eastern world to call someone the father of something when it's something that characterizes them. So, for example, someone who's supremely full of wisdom above everybody else in the day might be called the father of wisdom. Or someone who's the opposite, who's the king of foolishness, uh, might be called the, the father of folly. 
It's the quality of someone who makes them the father of it. Well, the Hebrew literally translates the father of eternity if you just simply translate it literally. He is, in essence, above all, other, uh, all others, the one who, per, who, who has this attribute, who possesses this attribute of eternity. He's supremely eternal. There's no one above Jesus in this way. He's not the child of eternity. He's the father of it. Eternity did not bring him about. Jesus did not come into being. He brought forth eternity. He is independent of time. He is self-existent, uncreated and eternal. And therefore, he is not bound by it. Colossians 1 describes him as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And it says that he created all things, which would include time. I love Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also He created the world. There's the creation component again. But listen to verse 3 and 4. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name He inherited is more excellent than theirs. He is above all things. That means that there is nothing as Father in this created universe that reigns over Him. I don't ever have to wonder whether He has something that is temporal in the very palm of His hand. That means there's some things about Jesus that we should understand in the negative We should understand that His incarnation or His becoming flesh was not a beginning. It was not a beginning. It was simply a coming to to bear. It It was a seeing when Jesus became flesh. We beheld His glory. It also means that His death was not an end. When Jesus died on the cross, He did not cease to exist. Jesus still was very much King of kings and Lord of lords, even in His death. It means that His ascension, His leaving the earth, is not ultimately His absence. If He is everlasting Father, He is still God with us. If not anything else but in the person and work of His Holy Spirit. And His return is not ultimately the overthrow. If He is the One from whom all things come, it means that He's right now King of kings. There is not coming a day when Jesus will ultimately set up His kingdom and take charge. He already is in control if Jesus is the author of eternity. So He is the Father of eternity itself. Secondly, He is the Father of an eternal kingdom. He is the father of an eternal of an eternal kingdom. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, we've read this in the previous weeks, but just to remind you, 
says, your house, this is a promise to David. He says, your house and your kingdom shall be made forever, sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And this is the fulfillment. And we have a description of it in verse 7. He says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Jesus will not fail to rule. He will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And of course, God will do this. There is no question about it. And it's not because Jesus all of a sudden takes the throne that is rightly His. The throne has never ceased to be His. Jesus has an eternal reign. The reason why the promise could be made to David is because that eternal reign took on flesh and sat upon the earthly throne that God had promised. Jesus always was in control and He always will be in control. He is the Father of an eternal kingdom. It was never possible that this promise to David could be fulfilled by an earthly king. Just the same as it is never possible that this reign, this perfect reign, could be fulfilled by any human king now. But Jesus became flesh and became this king of promise. And this is why when Jesus came, He came preaching the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, because Christ is our eternal king. And third, Jesus is the Father of, of our eternal salvation. He is the Father of our eternal salvation. The whole context of the passage is salvation. Do you remember? This King coming, we, we might be, get lost in just verses 6 and 7, but don't forget that this King was the one who was coming to set His people free. He was the one that was providing joy in the midst of gloom and anguish. This King is providing salvation. And it is through man that sin ultimately came and Jesus comes to ultimately be the Father of salvation. The hope that could not come through any man. In a sense, this is the picture that we have in the New Testament in Romans chapter 5 when we're told that through one man sin spread to the whole world. You see, that was the picture not just here in this day that Isaiah is prophesying, but since the very beginning. When Adam sinned, sin came into the whole world. The whole world became broken. Such that nothing could come from the human race that would be salvation. It's not possible unless, unless the very Son of God Himself becomes flesh and dwells among us. Jesus, in this way, becomes the Father of salvation. A new Father Adam as our earthly father, but ultimately Jesus becomes the father of all who would be born again. Jesus came to save and be our eternal father. It's kind of unique to think about Jesus in this way, but from Him begins everything. Everything begins and ends at Jesus. And this is what God is saying to us. That Jesus as everlasting Father has the ability to do all things and He does all things according to the counsel of His will which is again 
wonderful and good and wise. We can trust Him and we must obey Him and serve Him with our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and you've forgotten how much Jesus is in control of your life. It's easy to question when things become hard. We must trust Him with all that we are. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we want to just come to this place where we confess our trust of Jesus, the One who is everlasting Father. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Him fully with your life. The Bible teaches us that Jesus came and He gave His life for us in order that we might put our faith in Him as the only One who could save. You're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. We pleading with you that this Christmas, that right now, this very hour, you would trust in Jesus, turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus, the one who died for you and rose again, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting today, that you would call upon him and be saved. Or maybe you're here in this room and you're struggling with things in your life and you just simply need to be reminded that you can trust Jesus even in the smallest of things because He's King of kings and Lord of lords. In just a few moments, we're going to open this altar. We're going to invite you to come. You're here this morning. You don't know Christ. We want you to come. Walk down this aisle today and say, Pastor, today I I want to know Jesus. Will you help me? Today we'll... We'll show you what it means to follow Jesus with your life. We want you to come and take this journey with us. Come and be saved. Come and know this Christ who's the one who cares for us and loves us. Maybe you just need to come and spend some time at this altar in prayer. Maybe there's another decision on your heart. Whatever the case is this morning, you come and follow Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed, as we stand together all across this room, I'm going to pray, and our time of invitation will begin. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would move in our hearts this morning and lead us to repentance from all of our worry, all of our control, all of our rebellion, so that we might trust in you as everlasting Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.